It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the people injustice, Sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. Liberty Church and we are excited to be here with you today we are excited to um, go before the throne of the Father but before we do I wanted to um, just share a scripture that came to my heart this morning as I was preparing the Lord took me to second uh, Peter 3 and 8 it says dear friends don't overlook this one fact with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise. Have you felt like there's been a delay going on with your promise? It says the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. So God's delay is because he doesn't want any to perish. It is his will that no one perish, but he wants them to come to repentance. And um, it says, Christians should remember that God can do in one day what it would take us over a thousand years to do. And his apparent slowness is not slowness, slowness but it's given us an opportunity to provide humans the responsibility to bring those to Christ. So it says, God's delays in final judgment is because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance and believe the gospel. So it's our responsibility as his called out chosen ones to be on our job, to be bringing those to repentance by his spirit, by leading, by giving an example of Jesus Christ in this dark and this dying world. We have so much going on. The next week is pivotal for our, our country. Um, there's so much hatred and animosity, so much civil unrest that's going on. 
But I want to remind the believers that your responsibility is to be shining God's light in this earth. Mm -hmm. It's to be uh, uh, allowing his goodness to be flowing through your heart. So don't get uh, entangled with what's going on in our world. But remember that eternity is coming. And where will you spend your eternity? So, Father, I come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus, just thanking you for this day, thanking you for an opportunity to come before your presence once again, collectively, Lord God, through Facebook, collectively, Lord God, through the internet, Lord, just shedding, sharing your gospel and sharing your good news and sharing your love and peace and joy in this dark and this dying world. Father, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that we, we, we would, as your people, would keep our minds stayed upon you, that we would be unmovable, that we would have our hearts eternally focused, focused upon where we will spend our eternity, and let your love and your light shine through us. We pray for the evilness that is going on. Father, you said that it will be cut off like the grass, it, that it shall not prosper. So, Lord God, you deal with the evilness. Vengeance is yours. So, Father, you will repay. And we ask in the name of Jesus that we be able to stand up in this dark time as your light, letting your love shine through each and every one of our hearts onto the, everyone that needs it, drawing them to you, Lord, yes, as only you can do by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord has made. We are going to rejoice and be glad in it. It's also Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King holiday weekend. And one of my favorite quotes of his is, hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. This is one of the most profound and true quotes in history especially given the time we are living in. and But I want you to always remember this, that he did not give his life to the cause. His life was taken because of the cause. So we have to live, we have to remember who he was and how what he did for us, and we're still living out that dream on today. So as we get ready to go where God has taken us, though, I need you to focus Take your focus off of the world and what's going on in the world and get your focus on him. Take your focus off the focus of the world and what's going on in our world and in our country, even in this city. But get our focus on him. Now, we have been studying and discussing the grace dispensation and a dispensation is the a divine ordering of affairs of the world. It's an appointment. It's an arrangement. It's a favor given by God. It's a divinely appointed order or age. And the grace dispensation, which we have discovered, is also known as the church age. An age is an historical period or an era. Now, God always has a purpose or a reason for whatever he allows or whatever he does. Now, the reason for the grace dispensation is God had a plan 
and still has a plan for dealing with the nation of Israel. When Israel rejected Jesus as her Messiah, God suspended his plan for an unspecified duration. But let me say this before we go on. There are some Jews who have received Jesus as their savior, but I'm talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. This gap that I'm talking about, or this unspecified duration in God's plan happens in between the 69th and 70th week found in the book of Daniel chapter 9. So we are in between the 69th and the 70th week found in Daniel chapter 9. This gap is called the grace dispensation, also known as the church age, which we are currently living in right now. Now, after the church is raptured, God will begin dealing with Israel again. All right. So God had a purpose for this gap for the church age. He, he has suspended his plan for Israel. But the good news of the gospel is this. In suspending of that plan, he gave us who are not Jewish or Jews or Hebrews the opportunity to receive Jesus as our Savior. So the good news of that is after the rapture, which is us, the church, he will begin dealing with them again. Now, Charles Wesley, he was an English leader of the Methodist movement who was known for writing over 6,500 hymns. He penned these words. He said, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. God is loving, kind, and merciful, merciful with and to us. And God's grace is enormous and it's unlimited. His grace is enormous and unlimited. But, and I want to say this, it might not be humanly possible for us to completely understand just how big and how deep and how wide God's grace is. But it's important that we dig in because it will help us keep things in the right perspective. So to do that, we must ask, questions must be asked, a couple questions must be asked. Are there different levels of God's grace? Are there different levels of God's grace? Does he distribute varying amounts of his favor or his grace depending on who is receiving it? Are there different levels of God's grace? Does he distribute varying amounts of his grace or favor depending on who is receiving it? Now, to understand if the Bible teaches different levels of grace, we need to take a closer look at it. Now, grace is mentioned in the King James Version of the Bible 170 times, beginning with Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Most of the time when grace is used in the Old Testament occurrences, is derived from the Hebrew word 
Kane, which is spelled K-H-A-N-E, Kane. And that means favor, graciousness, or grace. In the New Testament, grace is de derived all but once from the Greek word charis, which is spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. And that means goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Now check this out. Jesus never used the word grace during his earthly ministry, according to the Bible. He never used the word grace during his earthly ministry. God left that for Paul and the apostles. When the apostle Paul discusses it in his letter, he describes it as part of God's character, whereby he gives mercy and makes believers righteous. Now, there was no need for Jesus to use the word grace because we have discovered through our teachings that grace is not a doctrine or a feeling. Grace is a person, Jesus Christ. So let's turn to John chapter one. We'll start there. John chapter one. Jesus in his earthly ministry did not use the word grace. God left that for Paul and the other apostles. So let's go to John chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 1. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And I'm going to put verse 5 in there. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Or another translation says, and darkness can never extinguish it. Talking about Jesus' light. And verse 14 says, um, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of only the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15 says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And verse 16 says, And of his fullness have all we received grace for grace. Verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was grace as we have learned. Now the context of John is this. He was, Jesus, he was the beloved disciple of Jesus. He had a close relationship with Jesus. And in his gospel, he is encouraging us to become intimate with him as well. Because to only know Jesus for heaven tomorrow is to miss the joy of heaven on earth in a growing living relationship with him today. Amen? Amen? Now, Grace is the disposition of undeserved generosity, kindness, and favor that a giver in this case, which is God, has been when, when giving this gift of grace to another person or a receiver, which is us as believers. Grace is a, disposi is a disposition of undeserved generosity, kindness, and favor that God is giving us as 
believers. Or even to another person, as we're going to see later on. Mm. Grace is defined by Dr. Tony Evans as the inexhaustible goodness of God, which he freely bestows or gives to human beings, which is undeserved, unearned, and unable to be repaid. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's grace is unlimited, and there are different kinds of grace. He dispenses different kinds of grace. We are in the grace dispensation, right? The church age, the grace dispensation. The root word of dispensation is the word dispense. Dispense means to deal out, to distribute, and to administer. It means to deal out, to distribute, to distribute and administer. To process the magnitude of his grace, I want to point out the varying kinds of grace he dispenses to you and me, as well as even some unbelievers, daily. Now, I want to warn you, this is not a comprehensive list because, as I said at the top, it would be, it would be almost impossible to develop a comprehensive list of how much Grace, God actually pours out. Grace number one is this. He pours out common grace. Common grace. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll begin with verse 43. Matthew chapter 5. And we'll begin with verse 43. God pours out his common grace. Verse 43 of chapter 5 says this. You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Verse 45 says, That you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. Verse 47 says, And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do you not even, do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, let me read in the message translation. The message says this. You are familiar with the old written law. Love your friend and its unwritten companion. Hate your enemy. I am. I'm challenging that. This is Jesus talking. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, you respond with supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm, and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, 
Do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously toward others the way that God lives toward you. God's law commanded love your neighbor is found in Leviticus 19 and 18, and Jesus is repeating it in this scripture. Now, the natural conclusion for many is love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. If you do what Jesus said, you are simply reflecting the character of your father in heaven. In other words, if you give grace like that, you are simply reflecting God's character. It is a reminder also that God doesn't show kindness only to believers or doesn't only give grace to his believers or pour out common grace to his believers. God extends common grace to all, meaning that there are certain blessings he gives to all people. Verse 45, part B says, for he maketh or he gives his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you hear me? God pours out his grace. For he pours out common grace on believers and unbelievers. You don't have to be a believer to feel the sunshine, rain, or to breathe oxygen. God indiscriminately pours it out on the just and the unjust. As a kingdom disciple, you must be indiscriminate in your extension of your love to a friend or an enemy. Yeah. You must be indiscriminate yeah. in your extension of your love. Yeah. Or you must give grace to a friend or an enemy. The Bible says in John chapter 13, um, 34 through 35, New King James, it says, A commandment I give to you that you love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this will know that you are this. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is anybody that's not you. Yes. We are commanded according to what the word says. We are told by Jesus Christ himself that God pours out grace on the believer and the unbeliever. And we are to give that same common grace to the believer and the unbeliever, to those who bless us, to those who curse us, to those who despitefully use us, to those who persecute us. Ah, but let's be real. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. That is extremely hard to do especially if you try to do it outside of your spirit man. Amen. You can only do that if you are led by your spirit, 
and your soul is possessed and filled with his spirit and your body will follow. But so often we get caught up in our feelings that our soul takes the lead, which is out of the divine order, wherein we cannot give out the common grace because we have allowed the world or the enemy to influence us in our mind. Jesus. Mm. Jesus. My God. You must yes. extend common grace to all. And then all will know that you are his disciple. Now, I'm not saying you got to be best friends with those. What I am saying, you need to pray, just like the Bible said in the message translation. Pray a supple prayer for them. You ain't got to hang out with them. But you have to pray for them. Give them common grace. Amen? Another kind of grace, which I touched on last week was uh, saving grace. We have common grace and we have saving grace. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we'll start at verse number 1 and we'll go to verse 8. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 8. And it says this. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Verse 3 says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was, a, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Another translation says, when people work for their wages, wages, it's not a gift, but something they have earned. Verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man uh, unto whom God imputeth righteousness with our work. To impute means... Uh, uh, an action or a word or a thing credited on behalf of another's account. Verse 7 says, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. A, Dr. Creflo Dollar said it this way. He said, our, our own performance cannot free us from sin. It takes accepting Jesus, who is grace. Grace is the antidote for sin. We are not saved by our own goodness. Therefore, lack of goodness cannot save us. God fellowships with us based on our relationship with Christ, not our own actions. The problem with sin is that the condemnation and shame that it causes drives us away from him. Constantly sinning has the effect of hardening our hearts. It deceives us. The enemy wants to harden our hearts to God so that we will walk away from him. However, God wants more than anything else to have a relationship with us. And he is trying to make it extremely difficult to renounce him 
or cast him away. God will never back away from a relationship with us through Christ Jesus. There is no such thing as big sin or a little sin. All sin is equal in God's eyes and it is equally offensive. Everyone sins at one time or another. If sin caused us to lose our salvation, then no one would be saved. That's why I'm throwing this in. God said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why God's grace is so amazing. He loves us so much. He goes out of his way to fellowship with us. How? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish or would not perish, but have everlasting life. For by grace are we saved. It is a gift from God. God pours out his saving grace through Jesus Christ, who is grace. And the way of grace is paved by his blood. Praise God. And when you receive his saving grace, he pours out on you as a believer his sanctifying grace. His sanctifying grace. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. He pours out on us. It's sanctifying grace. Now, I talked about the common grace. That was for believers and unbelievers. But now we're talking about the grace that only belongs to believers. <laughs> and that's sanctifying grace. You have to be a believer <laughs> to have sanctifying grace. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually making the comers thereunto perfect. Or in other words, another translation says, the old system under the law of Moses was only as a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for, for those who came to worship. Verse 2 says, For then they would not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshiper once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. Verse 3 says, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. In other words, in those sacrifices, according to the Old Testament, they would be have to be remembered year after year, after year, after year. They would be reminded of them year after year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls, the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifices, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. This is Jesus 
This is talking, referring to Jesus. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Verse 9 says, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second by by the which we by the which will we are by the which will we are sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Another translation says for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice through the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus came to accomplish what the old covenant, its priests and its sacrifices could not. He was uniquely prepared to provide a once and for all sacrifice to please God and to satisfy the demands of God's holiness. In this scripture, in verses five through seven, Jesus quoted Psalm number Psalm 40, 6 through 8, to support his position. You go look at that up at a later time. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, to support his position. Jesus came to do the will of God perfectly. And by and through perfect obedience, we have been sanctified, hear me now, once and for all. Everything you have broken, he has kept and put back together. If you trusted in Jesus, he dwells in you. Therefore, you have the fulfillment of God's standard within you. In other words, if you receive Jesus as your savior, you have no you don't have to continually ask to be sanctified because once you receive Jesus as your savior, you're sanctified from that point on. You get me? By his death, you have been sanctified. You have been set apart for God's purposes and his glory. You have been set apart to be his kingdom companion on earth and in heaven, so that should drive you to live your life in submission to his lordship and his kingdom agenda. Remember last week I talked about God going, I mean, Jesus going to prepare a place for us. And he sit at the right hand of the father, the place of honor, because he hung, bled, and died in perfect obedience so that he can go prepare that place. That place that he's prepared for us is back in him. Back in him. Once you are in him, you remain in him. The place has been prepared because you are already in him and he is in you. You have been sanctified by grace. Grace. Who is that? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Who is grace? You are great. You have been sanctified as Grace. Amen. Amen. Uh, God gives his believers his saving grace. Praise God. Mm, you can't work to get that grace. <laughs> Jesus done the work. He said it's finished. When you said it's finished, it's done. 
All we have to do is receive. Problem is we have to receive it. Willing to receive it. Open to receive it. Live it. And then live it out. Now I got one more kind of grace. And this is the sustaining grace. This is sustaining grace. Let's go to some a very familiar scripture. <laughs> and that's Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. This is the Apostle Paul, Second Corinthians chapter twelve. It says this in verse starting verse one. It's not it is it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above fourteen years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. I don't have time to teach on that right now. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable word, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmity. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Verse 7 says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, or I, he prayed three times, that it might depart from him or depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities or weaknesses, in reproaches, which is insults, in necessities, which is hardship and in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, one of them, God gives us sustaining grace. Now, one of the definitions for sustain is to support, hold, bear up from below, or to bear the weight of. To support, hold, bear up from below, to bear the weight of. Another definition is to, to keep a person a mind or a spirit from giving away as under a trial or affliction. In other words, sustain means you won't lose your mind during a trial or an affliction. Now check this out. God answered Paul's prayer, but it wasn't the response he was looking for. You hear me? God answers Paul's prayer but it was not the response he was looking for. Remember the verse said, I sought the Lord thrice or three times. Let me say this before we go on. You may have asked God for something and God gave you a different answer than what you were seeking him for. You are in good company because the apostle Paul, 
who is the greatest of the New Testament apostles, had the same thing happen to him. Amen. God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfect in your weakness. We see in Paul's example that when you suffer, you should tell God what you want in prayer. But nevertheless, once you said it, you must be willing to listen and accept God's answer, which is a hard pill to swallow at times. God had determined not to remove Paul's thorn in his flesh. But what he did do was grant Paul his sustaining grace for his need. You may not get everything you are believing God for because it might not be good for you. God may allow certain things to happen to you so that you can see his, receive his sustaining grace to help you through these perilous times. God's sufficient grace is the inexhaustible supply of his goodness that you cannot earn or deserve, but that keeps coming despite you. It's an inexhaustible supply of his goodness that you cannot earn or you don't deserve it, but he keeps coming despite you. He said, I will be made perfect in your weakness. No matter how bad Paul's thorn got, God promised that his grace was more than enough because God's power is perfected or made sure, or made mature in weakness. Yes. His sustaining grace will hold you up from the bottom because once you are in his hand, no man can pluck you out. Mm. Now, sometimes God will give you a second wind and turns your infirmity into your spiritual asset that will allow you to see a fresh manifestation of his presence, his glory, and his power. An infirmity can become a spiritual asset, and that will allow you to see a fresh manifestation of his presence, his glory, and his power. In other words, even though you may have something that's coming up against you to bother you, As you continue to seek God, you will see a fresh manifestation of his presence, of his glory and of his power. That when you get through that thing, you can look back and say it had to be God. Mm. Now. You need to get it in your spirit, the difference between what you had as Adam's child and what you have as God's child. As Adam's child, you had ruin, sin, death, separation from God. You had disobedience. You had judgment and law. But as God's child, you have, you hear me, have already rescued. You have righteousness. You have eternal life. You have a relationship with God. You have obedience. You have deliverance and all kinds of grace. An inexhaustible supply of God's goodness in your life. God's grace is different. He dispenses it. But, oh, thank God for it. 
that puts you in right perspective. God pours out grace on you daily. He pours out common grace on you daily. He gave you his saving grace if you're a believer. And as a result of being a believer, receiving his saving grace, you, are, you receive his sanctifying grace. And because you're a believer that receives his sanctifying grace, you receive on a daily his sustaining grace. As I said last week, through Israel's home, where would I be if not for your grace? Grace is so much better when you receive grace. Jesus. These perilous times are so much better. Even though we're going through hell and high water, when you have grace in your life. When you try to op operate outside of grace, you're out there to fend for yourself. But when you have grace, God will sustain you through your infirmities, through your weaknesses. Ah, it's the goodness of God that brings you to repentance. God is a good, good God. There are different kinds of grace, and it's for Mm. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We pray right now that we won't take it for granted. We won't take your gift for granted from this day forward. We recognize that you give us common grace. We recognize that you gave us saving grace. That through saving grace, you give us sanctifying grace, which gives us sustaining even in these perilous times. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we repent for taking your grace for granted. We repent for not celebrating what you give us on a daily basis, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. Amen. If you have not received Jesus, have not received grace for the first time or in time in a long time, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I want to live for you as you show me I receive you, Grace. I thank you for Grace. Satan, I rebuke you. You are not my God. I belong to Jesus Christ, who is Grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God some praise. For his grace. And if you'd like to sow in our ministry, please follow the link below or mail it to 2828 West Flint Street, 61604, right here in the city of Peoria. Please continue to stay vigilant, especially this week on Inauguration Day. Stay aware of your surroundings, not only on Inauguration Day, but any day, really. Stay aware of your surroundings and don't be so focused on your phone that you are not uh, noticing where you are or who are around you. Please continue to wear your mask, stay socially distant, and wash your hands. Pray for our country, especially those who are bereaved, going through bereavement right now, those who are sick with COVID and other ailments, and our frontline workers, our essential workers. Now, let us not leave with malice in our hearts, but let us leave with love for one another. Let us leave with a prayer on our lips 
not for ourselves, but for others. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed going out, and you are blessed coming in. The enemy comes in one way, but he has to flee seven ways. Why? Because you got grace. Uh, you are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the lender and not the borrower. You are blessed. So I speak life to you. I speak life to your family. I speak life to your finances. I speak life to your health. Be blessed. Larissa and I love you, and we will see you next week. Be blessed. Thank <laughs> you.